Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning again, everyone. And if you've slipped in during the worship, my name is Ryan. And it's uh, my privilege to share with you this morning. We will be finishing our series, our Connected series, a series about what it means to encounter God and and life patterns for us to encounter God. We were in uh, the Gospel of Mark for quite a lengthy time, and we'll be going back there. We've put that on pause till next year. And after this, we'll have a guest speaker, and then we'll be going into a, a series looking at some of the Old Testament foundations and using Hebrews chapter 11, uh, a really famous chapter in the Bible, using that as a framework. He sort of looks back himself, the writer of Hebrews, over some of these Old Testament stories and draws out some faith principles. But we're using that as a platform and just going through some of the foundations of our faith stories in the Old Testament. But we're wrapping up the series on encountering God, looking at worship, looking at what is worship and what does worship mean and how do we encounter God in worship? And it's quite an interesting thing speaking on worship in the series because worship is something that happens as a result of encountering God, but it is also a way that we encounter God. It's something that we encounter God in. And so when we've had moments of intimacy with God, when we've encountered God in a really real way, then we tend to respond or should respond with worship. But at the same time, in our worship, We tend to encounter God really powerfully, as you've even heard this morning, some testimonies of that. Having said that, though, I think it's important to say say this. Worship is never, ever a means to an end. It's never, ever a means to an end. In fact, worship is the end of all things. It is the end of everything that ever exists. You and I were made to the end of worship. Our whole purpose in life is worship. We exist for worship, and that's quite a big statement. And I hope to show you the truth of that, that we were designed for worship. And I hope that will come through as we continue. We exist to worship God. He has designed us for that. And so with that in mind, I'm praying that as we come to a deeper understanding of what worship is, that it will unlock something in us. I was saying to the team as we were praying before that I do have a high expectation for this message. You know, preach sermons every now and again and, and, and don't always have the highest expectation for every message that I preach. I trust that it might be meaningful to one or two people, but you change a culture over time. And yet there's just something in me. It's, a, it's a, a hopefully a holy naivety <laughs> that there would be a high expectation that we would, that the, not, not just that this would be a good message to hear, but it would unlock something in all of our hearts I don't have a high expectation in the sense that it's going to be perfectly polished, but I am desperately hoping that God will unlock a deeper sense of what it means to gather for worship. And there will be a breakthrough in our own experiences of worship. And so having said all of that, hopefully getting you excited, I want to ask a simple question. What is worship? 
What is worship? I remember my first time going to a church. I wasn't raised going to church, but at the age of 14, I was invited to a youth group. I was told they had a skate park. I was I'm like, I'm there. So I'm skating away outside. They've got ramps. This is amazing, wonderful. And then they're like, cool, everyone, now we're going to go inside to this big hall. And I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting. And the youth group back in, in East London, South Africa, where I'm from, slightly different to the ones that, uh, that, that we're running here, slightly bigger, 200 plus people. So you, we meet every Friday and we'd walk in and there was this band playing, electric guitar, wonderful, not quite at the Soul Survivor level, but, but pretty big. And I just remember thinking, okay, cool, we're going to, we're going to watch a gig. This is going to be a band. This is going to be fun. But I remember being quite freaked out, if I'm honest. I remember walking in there and the focus wasn't so much on listening to the music as it was on singing and participating. And there were people raising their hands. And I thought, well, that's an odd thing to do. Why are you raising your hands? And there was one of my friends who I really knew, and he was kneeling down and bowing in this. And I was like, this is really weird. No one prepared me for this. And I just remember walking out of that, and something, though, struck a chord with me. I'll never forget that we sang three songs, but the one I'll never forget is Tell the World That Jesus Lives. And that just did something. Something unlocked, and it started a process where I then eventually became a Christian and committed my life to Jesus and can stand here before you now speaking about that moment. But when we speak about worship, we can speak about it in both broad and narrow terms. Broadly speaking, worship refers to our whole lives before God. And you've maybe heard sermons about that, about how worship for us is everything that we do to God, for God. And that is true. But more narrowly, it can also refer to a worship service. What we do here every Sunday, we gather and the singing is worship and the preaching, listening to that is worship and the fellowship is worship and it's all wonderful. And even more narrowly, We can speak of worship as the time of singing, as that time where we bring our hearts before God and express it in song and in creative praising. And my approach this morning is predominantly focusing on that more narrow definition. But but what I have to share, the core of what worship is actually applies to all of them. It applies to all of them. There's so much that I would love to share about worship, but we don't have three days and so I just want to share some of the, the, the core pieces, the core values of what it means to worship God, which I hope will then fuel our hearts. Because the heart of worship is the same either way, whether you apply it to what you're doing in all your life or to the times of singing. And so I want to look at one very helpful definition of worship by a guy named Bruce Leafblade, which is an awesome name. I mean, Leafblade is just the best surname to ever have. But he says this, he says, worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to His greatness and His Word. And I want to break that down a bit and just look at some of the pieces, and you will see these themes coming out as we we go along and look at what worship really is. He starts off, the first thing he says is, is it's communion with God. It is a relational encounter, not a external activity. It's not something we just do. That's just an action that we just, you know, just do, just play out. It's actually a relational encounter. It's something we do with God in communion with him, which is why we've included it in this encounter series, because in worship we encounter God. And then he says worship is then the centering or the placing, or the aiming of two things on God. 
right? So we're in relationship with God, and in this relational transaction, we are now centering, placing, aiming two things at God. And those two things are first our mind's attention. Worship is the intentional placing of our thoughts and our focus Godward, to God, on God. It's the intentional aiming of our thoughts and our focus to God. And secondly, and this is so important as well, it is the intentional aiming of our love and our feelings toward God. The intentional aiming, targeting towards God, our love and our affections. We center those two things on Him in communion. And all of this is then in response. It is a reply. It is a reaction to his greatness and his word. We work this backwards, this definition, and it's simply this. It's in worship we respond to God by centering, aiming the attention of our mind and the affections of our hearts on him. It is a response to God from our mind and heart to him. I put it in a, in a simple statement. Worship is our expression of God's value. It is our response to his glory. This is the core of what worship is. It is a response and it is an expression. And hopefully by the end of this message, you will get so sick of those words, but they will also bring you some joy. Because worship is an expression. It is a response. It is an expressing of what we are feeling and believing, heart and head, feeling and believing. It is a response to a sight, to something that we see. It is a response to God of his value and his worth and his glory. It is an expression that shows and reflects that very value, worth, and glory. We, we see God's value, worth, and glory, and then we express in a response the value of that worth and glory. It's a very simple formula, if you will, and I really didn't want to use that word. We see, believe and feel, respond and express. That's what worship is. And the thing is, we do this all the time in life. We're constantly doing this. We are designed to worship. I use a very simple, silly analogy first. If you're standing in the road and you turn and see a car, you respond by moving out the way because you believe it's going to hit you and you feel fear. So simple. You see something and you respond to how it makes you feel and what you believe will happen with it. Okay, but let's get a bit more emotive. Let's get to things that actually match a little bit more with worship. Sports, right? Sports is the perfect example because we're constantly worshiping when it comes to sports. We see the goal go in or the wickets get hit. We just, we see the try scored and we respond, we shout, we clap, we jump, we cheer, we sing. I remember last year I was going to some Chelsea games and I, I had the privilege of going to the home semi-final and I think it was the Carabao Cup against Tottenham Hotspur, right? And we won the game. It was great. It was amazing. And the moment that that winning goal, I think it was a winning penalty, went in, I forgot who I was, where I was. I grabbed the guy next to me and we were brothers. We were, we were, we were one, way, one step away from one flesh. We were just, yes! We were just together. There was a sight that triggered a feeling, and I expressed it with emotion and action and activity because it hit me. 
It was the value of that goal that then led to the joy of my expression. The value of that goal which led to the joy of that expression. Or how about something a little bit more significant? My wedding, which we had in April. There's my wife. I'm earning some browning points while I'm preaching. Yeah. And, uh, and Jess will tell you, and, and this is not a boast, in fact, this is one of my vices. I am not a particularly emotionally expressive person, particularly in the, in the response, because we all express our emotions in some way. Sport is an example that men can feel emotion, right? But, but I am not a, a particularly uh, prone to crying, okay? And I, d- I don't like that. I used to pray, God, help me to cry more. I want, I want to actually, it sounds funny, but I genuinely felt, I was like, this isn't healthy. I want, I want to, but anyway, and so there was this joke that, you know, I probably wouldn't cry at the wedding, and, but something happened. She walked down the aisle, and all of the build-up to that day, and I saw my bride, hey babe, I saw my bride, and now her favorite photo is the one where my eyes are tearing up, and there is an expression of the value and worth of Jess to me. There was an expression, an outflowing of my heart, I saw I felt, I expressed. Okay, we know what this is. We know what it means to express in our emotions the worth of something that we see. When we see sunsets, when we see sunrises, when we see mountains, that's why I love going to mountains. I remember, I've said this before, I think, driving in Cape Town, and every time I drive the particular road that took me just before Table Mountain, and I just see it, and I remember having those moments with God, being, wow, you are big. You are big, God. That was worship. That was an expression. We see God's glory and we respond in worship expressing His worth. But to really grip this, I quickly want to look at what is God's glory. What is the glory of God? Because that is what we respond to. Right? In life, we're responding to so many things and then expressing in emotion and action. But in worship, when we come together to sing, we are looking for a sight of God's glory in His truth and in all sorts of things. We're just looking for a glimpse, a gaze of God's glory that will then warm our hearts so that we can respond in expression and worship. See, God's glory is the main target of our worship, and it is the fuel for it. And so I want us to know what it is. Because when we see the glory of God, it will draw out of us a response that expresses the value and worth of His glory. And what is it? Well, we get a clue, and John Piper really helped with this. But I remember him speaking about this passage in Leviticus 10 verse 3, which I think gives us a strong clue as to what we can most simply define the glory of God as. Moses says this to Aaron. He says, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. There's a connection here. God is restating something. And he's using this word sanctified in a synonymous way with being glorified. Okay, And the word sanctified is just a fancy way of be holy. It is the same word for holy. And the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be seen on another level, right? It's like if I had to go and play football with the Chelsea team or with the Barcelona team or the Liverpool team, okay? They are set apart from me because they're on another level. 
they are superlative to me. I am just trying to not scuff the ball, trying not to kick the ground. They are doing things that I can't. They are on another level. They are set apart. And so God is holy because he is set apart in every single way imaginable. More perfect, more powerful, more knowledgeable, more wise. He is the creator. And so he is holy, set apart above all else. And then simply God's glory is the display of that holiness. It is, glory literally means in the Bible, weight. It is feeling, seeing the weight of God's otherness. His being above and beyond than we can imagine and be ourselves. It is the display of his otherness, the weight of his perfection. It is a sense of him being just above and beyond all else in the entire universe. If you had to take everything that ever will exist in the entire universe, add it all up, its worth, its value would not even be comparable to God. It's like a speck. His glory is us feeling the weight of that. His glory is us feeling the weight of that. It's seeing that. It is a display of his goodness and his greatness. Holy is not just about moral purity. That's sometimes where we put that word. We think of holiness. We think about moral purity. It's about being on another level. And his glory is us seeing that, feeling the weight of his otherness and his nearness. And when we see God's holiness displayed, when we see and feel his glory, there's a response. There is an expression. And you see, expression in worship is necessary. It is the natural overflow of seeing God's glory. But I also quickly want to say this, as vital as it is, it is not the starting point. It's why I didn't run there right from the offset. It's why I wanted to spend time. What is God's glory? What is worship? Because when we run to the expression first, we fall into the trap of being like Jesus says in Matthew 15, um, verse 8. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You can sing songs all your life and not be worshiping. You can sing songs all your life and never be worshiping. Because people can honor with their lips in the words of Jesus and have their hearts far from him. And so to stop that, to not do that, we need to start with the heart. We need to be captivated by God and his glory. We need to see and feel the reality of God. The realities of the gospel so deeply that it just releases genuine expressions of worship. When we do see and feel those realities, the reality of God's holiness, the reality of his glory, the reality of the gospel, that we are saved by grace. When we see those, we will respond with expressions of worship and those expressions will complete our enjoyment of those realities. When we see the realities of God's love and his greatness and his mercy, we're, we're enjoying them. If you're a Christian, you see that God is loving and that's something that you delight in, you enjoy it. And to complete that joy, you express how it makes you feel. Expression is the fulfillment of our enjoyment. The expression in worship fulfills our actual enjoyment of the thing we're worshiping. Okay, C.S. Lewis probably makes it a lot more helpful. He says this as a quote, and it's very wordy, but we'll break it down. He says, the most obvious fact about praise whether of God or anything else, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that 
all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards to the supremely valuable what we delight to do, what indeed we cannot help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment, okay? It's very wordy, but what he's saying is this. Not only do we love naturally to praise the things we enjoy, anything in life that you enjoy, you will love to praise. And the reason that is, is because it's not about just praising it, but we enjoy praising the things we enjoy. It's a complete circle. And so when we truly see God's glory and we enjoy God, the realities and the truth of who God is, when we see that and we enjoy it, the completion of that joy, the fulfillment of that joy comes in us expressing that enjoyment in worship, song, singing, dancing, clapping, all the biblical ways to respond, crying, laughing. I mean, think of, again, that example I shared of the semi-final against Tottenham. Would that moment have been so memorable to me if I had to be restrained in my response? Is not part of what makes that moment so wonderful for me to remember, such a joyful memory, the fact that I got to express it. I got to shout and react to this thing that was happening. The reaction is as much a part of my joy as the actual event itself. No one loves to be restrained. No one loves to be restrained, to be told you can't praise the thing that you're delighting in. The celebration is as part of the joy of that moment as the moment itself. And our expression in worship is as much a part of our enjoyment of God as the enjoyment of God himself. And there are many examples of moments that I have had in worship with God that I can point to. I picked out a couple just, just to show how, how I've experienced this, and sometimes they tend to involve tears. I remember being on a, on a, a camp and standing in the, in the aisle. I was actually standing in the aisle. I just wanted some space. And it wasn't a big camp. It wasn't flashy worship. It was just acoustic, and we were just singing. And we started singing that song, Good, Good Father. You're a good, good father. I sung that song a hundred times. And the reality of God's perfect fatherly love hit me. I knew about it. I'd believed it. I'd studied it. But in that moment, the reality of it, the weight of it, hit me. I just started to cry. just started to thank God. Just be grateful. You're a father. You're fathering me. You're not disgusted in me. You're not disappointed in me. You love me. Another moment, going back to our wedding, the second time I cried. We're in worship, and we had wanted to devote time to worship because we genuinely believed that our marriage was a means, not the end. It was a means to the end of worship, the whole purpose of marriage. And so we wanted to spend time in worship. And in one of the songs we put, Before the Throne of God Above, many of you will note, I've sang it here many times. I've sang that song tons of times. And in that moment... The reality of the gospel hit me again. Yes, you will be an imperfect husband. You have a perfect savior. Yes, I have covered you with my blood. 
And before this throne, this holy throne, we have a strong and perfect plea. And I just wept. The reality, I saw the truth of God's gospel. It felt it in my heart and expressed it in my emotion. I saw the truth of God as a good father. And I knew it and believed it in my head, felt it in my heart and expressed it with my emotion. Now that doesn't mean that I cry every time I sing, okay? Because Sunday after Sunday, this happens in different ways. Sunday after Sunday, I come and I see something in God's truth or something will hit me on the way here or just God will just speak and I feel it. I believe it in my mind and feel it in my heart and I will respond with clapping or dancing, usually singing, loud singing, shouting, who cares if you're on key, just want to express what is in my heart. I am responding to what I am seeing about God. I am responding to his reality. Sometimes there's laughing, often there's kneeling. It doesn't have to be a, a, a thing that you just do every single time. The key is the experience, because again, we can sing with our lips and our hearts can be far. What matters is that our hearts are connecting with the realities of God. We don't want to rob ourselves of joy. We don't want to rob ourselves of joy. If the expression is what completes the joy, why would we rob ourselves of that joy? And so I want to speak about some steps we can take. If you, This is something you want to grow in. Steps to take toward expression. And again, there's an aspect here in which it's, an, it's something we have to do with God. God reveals himself to us and we feel that in our hearts. But there are things we can do to posture ourselves, to prepare ourselves to have that kind of encounter. Again, worship is a relational encounter. And we've been looking at the prayer course with Pete Grieg or Greg, I can't remember how to pronounce it. And, and he was speaking about contemplation. And I found some of the things he said really helpful in terms of applying it to worship. And so I've tweaked it a bit. And I want to speak about three phases that all of us can go through in worship. And I've tried to make it just, just so easy for us to remember. Because this is just experience. It's just something we experience. And so the first phase is what we'll call the us and God phase. Okay, we come into church. There's lots on our mind. We stand before our seat. The songs come up. And now we're going to sing. And what we do in this phase is we're still in the focus. There's lots going on in our mind. There's lots going on in our hearts. There's distraction all around us. We're in focus. But we now in this phase are choosing to intentionally focus on God. We're choosing to try and shift our focus from all the things that are bugging us, worrying us, scaring us, whatever it might be. We're choosing to say, I'm going to now participate in worship. I am going to draw my mind's attention to God and try to fuel my heart's affection for God. I'm, I am participating. I am the active agent. I am bringing myself before God and using all the tools available, singing, meditating, reading the scriptures, praying is a big one do this all the time. I, I, I try not to be happy to just go through the motions. Because again, I don't want to be what Jesus says, someone who praises with his lips, but his heart is far. And so if I'm, I just want to be honest with God and myself, if I'm not feeling it, then I'm asking God to help me feel it. Not just content to go through the motions. I want to connect with the living God. And so that's one of the battlegrounds, that us-God moment where we're in focus, but we're trying to bring our mind's attention and our heart's affections onto God. We're trying to aim them 
hard. I know it's hard, particularly when life gets busy. Particularly when life gets busy. But as we do that, this, this next phase is attainable for all of us. This is not a personality thing. This has nothing to do with personality. This has nothing to do with just how you're wired. We were made to worship. We all have different expressions, but we are made to connect with God and to focus on Him. And so this next phase is the God-us phase, where we sort of fall into the background, and we're less aware now of our own selves. We're not as aware of the things on our minds, because what's become, there's only so much space in our heart and mind vision, and God's now starting to fill that space. We're singing a truth of joyful, joyful. We adore thee, and that's becoming bigger than what am I going to have for lunch. That's becoming bigger than the, the family member who I'm really concerned about. That's becoming bigger than these deep concerns and worries in our lives, which do matter. But turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of these world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So we're choosing to turn in the us-God phase, and in the God-us phase, now there is something happening. God is becoming bigger in our mind's eye, in our heart's eye. And we start to connect. We start to experience a real sense of that weight, that glory, that reality. He takes the center stage. And then there are these moments, and they don't happen every week. I wish they did, and we should try and happen. But they, it's, just, it's just mystery in some of this. But there are these moments where it's just God. And it's, it's, the, it's called self-forgetfulness. It's the most beautiful thing. It's the thing that I pray for when I'm preaching. It's the thing that I pray for when I'm with other people. To just not be thinking about myself to just be completely forgetful about myself. I'm not thinking about how I look. I'm not thinking about what I'm saying. I'm not thinking about how people are reacting. I'm not even thinking about myself at all because I'm perfectly caught up in the moment. Isn't that the best? That's what happened when, again, that goal went in. I didn't know this guy. I hadn't spoken to him the whole game. And it was just, oh, I've forgotten about my own like, integrity or anything. I don't care about my personal space. I don't care about his personal space. I just want to grab him because I'm caught up in the moment. And how much better is it to be caught up in a moment with God than in some stupid football game? How much better is it to be caught up in a moment where you go, God has saved me. Yes, that's all I want to think about. I just want to think about God's goodness to me. I can't even remember that, my, you know, whatever's happening at home. I can't even think about what I want to have for lunch. I'm just caught up in God. I'm just caught up. That's the target. I'd love for that to happen every time. I will say it doesn't. But we should aim for that. How, that's what heaven is. It's being so caught up with God that what you're doing doesn't even matter. You're just enjoying the act of praising the one you enjoy more than anything else in all eternity, and there's no hindrances. Oh, how I pray for the end, and we can just worship God. May we do everything possible to position ourselves in the best ways that we can see and experience the glory and goodness of God and respond sincerely maximizing our own joy in God by expressing it, expressing it. There is disciplined expression and spontaneous expression. Both are important. If I had time, I'd love to go into that. But what I'd like to do very, very briefly is just read through one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 63, just the first seven verses. And as I've been speaking, some of these points you will just see there 
you'll see a biblical example of someone in the Psalms who's doing this very thing. Just so that you know, it's not just my own opinions. Psalm 63, we just read this together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have behold, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. In this psalm, we see an expression of desire. He then says he beholds, he looks upon. There's that vision, that seeing. He then believes. He says, because of your steadfast love. He's believing this and feeling it. My lips will praise you. There's some expression, a chosen expression, lifting up my hands. There is encounter, soul being satisfied like, like fat and rich food. Expressed with joyful lips. Choosing to remember and meditate, to see. It's an active seeing. I want to see the glory of God. And he enjoys. I will sing for joy. How wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.